Hello and welcome back to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. On today's episode, we're going to talk about MotoGP and last weekend's round at Sepang in Malaysia to a sell-out crowd at the circuit just outside the wonderful city of Kuala Lumpur with 103,000 people packing the rafters of the Sepang International Circuit to see MotoGP at its very finest. And we were treated to a, a wonderful race um, with a, a Yamaha triumphing for the first time well, for the first time since Assen, uh, with Maverick Vinales uh, winning the race uh, in pretty convincing fashion, actually, um, from uh, Mark Marquez in second and Andrea Dovizioso in third. Um, but the action of the weekend all started on Saturday uh, in qualifying. So uh, in MotoGP, the qualifying format is slightly different to other motorsports. So um, in the first three free practice sessions of the weekend, the riders' times are taken and the top 10 riders automatically go into what's called Q2, which is the final qualifying session, which determines the top 12 places on the grid. For those who are outside of the top 10 on the timesheets in the first three free practice sessions, they will go into Q1, um, which is a kind of preliminary qualifying session. And two riders from that Q1 session will go to join the other 10 in the Q2 session um, to make up a final 12 who will, who will go and shoot out for pole. Still, you still with me? Well... It's um it's worked very up to now the 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 systems work quite well it's very exciting it adds a lot <clears throat> it certainly adds a lot to free practice that the free practice sessions um have a little bit more context to them and they're a little bit more significant so um you know sometimes if there's rain expected riders will have to go out and make sure they get they get a banker lap in and it can really throw up some some unexpected um some unexpected results as well um. But one problem that is 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 kind of it's problematic amongst more or less all motorcycle racing qualifying at the moment uh, is the subject of riders waiting around to get what's called a tow from another rider. So the theory is is that if you follow a rider in front of you, you will get a little bit of of aerodynamic benefit because the rider in front of you is is effectively punching through the hole in the air, which you 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 sit behind that rider and are able to benefit from um, the rider in front taking the main hit of the air flowing towards you. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that is something that's been a problem in motorcycle racing for a number of years and we see it particularly badly in moto 3 with lighter bikes smaller bikes less powerful bikes where the tow is even more important um, the slipstreaming is even more important so what we see is is that there's riders who will be dawdling around waiting looking behind them looking around waiting for somebody to go and follow and of course the rider who's um, they might they might spot of course they're not they don't want to be followed because they don't want to do all the work and the person behind them um, score a faster lap time. So it's brought along a lot of safety concerns. Thankfully we've not seen up to now any major pile-ups in qualifying. I'm actually amazed that we haven't already because the amount of times you'll see riders dawdling around on the racing line with another rider coming through quickly behind them is, is, is just a recipe for disaster. So 
the tactics involved with um, you know following people in qualifying has been a crucial part to to successfully you know getting a good grid position in the MotoGP class and in many other motorcycle racing classes around the uh, around the world. And we saw this come to a head on Saturday at Sepang because up till up up until the qualifying session at Sepang, all of the Yamaha riders had been absolutely dominant uh, in the field with Maverick Vinales, Franco Morbidelli, Fabio Quartararo and even Valentino Rossi making a really strong return to very good pace uh, as well. So <clears throat> so Mark Marquez knew that uh, on his Honda that he would be struggling to make it onto pole position um, for Sunday's race. So he decided that for throughout the qualifying session he would stalk uh, and hassle Fabio Quartararo in the attempt to get a little bit of a toe from the fast Frenchman who's been the standout rider uh, in qualifying or maybe even the standout rider of the season alongside Marc Marquez, our world champion. So this was this was fascinating to see this play out and what we saw was that Marc Marquez desperately trying to, to follow behind Fabio Quartararo and coming into the first corner, there's a, at Sepang, there's a very tight right-hander, then a left-hander, then a right-hander again. And it's very slow, long corners that link together. And Marc Marquez was following behind um, Fabio Quartararo, going slower than he normally would have um, to try and make sure he was in that towing position. And just as he cranked, the, going round the right-hand right-hand corner, and just as he b- began to turn the bike round to the left and wind on the power of his Honda RC213V, it sent him to the moon. So in motorcycle racing, there's one thing that riders dread from happening, which is called a high side crash. So you can have what's called a low side crash, which is when the rider basically falls off the low side of the bike and the bike, effectively, they're going around a corner, they lose grip and the bike will slide away from them and they'll probably slide along behind uh, the bike. That, so you're basically getting dropped to the ground quite quick, quite quickly. And in general, this is a far safer way to, to crash um, than the alternative high side. Now, a high side is when the rider is effectively flicked over the handlebars, for lack of a better explanation. And that is it's something that was a, a perennial problem uh, in the days of the 500cc two-stroke. Um, they, they were evil machines, those ones. Those were, you'll see videos of, you know, <clears throat> Kevin Schwantz and Wayne Gardner and these guys just getting sent to the moon from these high-side crashes, which are incredible, can be really, really damaging to, to, to riders. So, but we don't see it as much in the days of traction control and more friendly four-stroke machines, 1,000cc four-stroke machines. Um, it's not as common now, but we do still get it. And sometimes when the tyres are cold, can really cause high-side crashes to, to happen. And it basically means it's when the a, a tyre loses grip and the, the crash begins to happen like a low-side crash. And then all of a sudden... The tire will gain grip, and the bike will basically basically jerk back upright, and the the force of doing so will flick the rider over the over the handlebars. Mark Marquez's crash on um, although the not although the bike wasn't travelling at such high speed, the the crash was incredibly violent and flicked Mark Marquez so high in the air, higher than I've I've seen for many many years um, of any rider uh, in a in a motorcycle racing crash. And he catapulted over the handlebars and actually landed on his feet. But if you watch the slow-mo replay, and I'm never normally an advocate of, of re-watching crashes because, well, why would you? But 
thankfully he was he was he was more, he was relatively unhurt um and i think the reason why he was relatively unhurt is because of actually the way he crashed he's actually very good at crashing um sounds an odd thing to say but the way he was able to soften the impact as his ankle hit the ground he was able to sort of flick himself off the ground and and then he held his wrist close to his chest uh, and tumbled through the gravel and what could have been a very very damaging season ending injury um he managed to get get ready and dust himself off for the next race so now that that is a crash that would have been avoided um, had he not been trying to follow uh, Fabio Quartararo in qualifying. Now, this is something that you could just say, well, don't don't follow other riders. But unfortunately, it's not it's not as easy as that. I've had this feeling for a while in motorcycle racing that the qualifying format, a group qualifying format, is a little bit. I I think is really causing a a slight safety issue and. Um, recently I was watching the Bathurst 1000, a real favourite car race of mine, and the way they do their qualifying is quite interesting, where they do basically um, the top 10 uh, drivers in uh, in practice get to go to the top 10 shootout. Now the top 10 shootout is where every driver gets one flying lap to set their lap time that's it they have the whole circuit to themselves and they have one flying lap and it is an incredibly a very very exciting format i think as the qualifying session builds uh through um through and you really see absolutely maximum commitment um from the from the drivers uh, and i think a, 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 i think a, a, a similar format in moto gp and for that matter in other forms of motorcycle racing I think um, something like a top 10 shootout where you're getting one driver or one rider um, coming through at once, I think would make for um, not only a safer um, a safer format, but uh, also a very exciting uh, format at that. But anyway, that's we don't normally talk about qualifying very much uh, on our on our podcast, but um, I thought this was this was one of the most uh, significant events of in qualifying of, of, of this year. So. What did we see in the race? Well, we saw Maverick Vinales taking the win ahead of Marc Marquez uh, and Andrea Davizioso, closely followed in fourth by Valentino Rossi, a resurgent Rossi um, on his Yamaha N1, uh, followed by Alex Rins, Franco Morbidelli, Fabio Quartararo, Jack Miller, Danilo Petrucci, Joanne Mir, Paulisk Bargro and Pe- Peko Bagnaya. Um, but there was lots of storylines to to talk about in uh, in um, the race. First of all, I want to talk about uh, about the Frenchman Johann Zarco. Now, Johann Zarco came on to uh, the scene in MotoGP a couple of years ago. He was a double Moto2 world champion, uh, both of which with the IO Motorsports team, and came into MotoGP with the Tech Trois. Um, monster Yamaha team, uh, a French-run team, which he gelled with. He gelled with the team so well, and his crew chief Guy Coulon, uh, and also the very friendly uh, YZM uh, M1 uh, uh, Yamaha. Now, as has been proven over the last couple of seasons, the best bike to get onto as a rookie in MotoGP is a Yamaha M1. It has much more friendly characteristics. It's not as aggressive as something like the Honda or, or KTM motorcycles. Um, and Johan Zarco, for both the seasons he had on the Tech 3 Yamaha, was were absolutely incredible. He, he had podiums, he had pole positions, he was on the pace all the time, often outperforming the riders on the factory machines in the Movie Star Yamaha team. 
Um, but this year, uh, he joined the KTM racing team. His pro first proper factory contract, a very big, uh, very big um, financial <laughs> contract as well. Um, but unfortunately, he, he had a basically had an absolute disaster. Um, couldn't gel with the, the KTM motorcycle, far too aggressive and just completely sapped his confidence. And Zarco is very much a confidence rider. If he has the confidence, he's one of the very best in the world. If he doesn't, he's nowhere. He's, he's almost a little bit of a Jorge Lorenzo character in that kind of, in that sense. Um, about midway through the season, this season, Zarco, um, Johan Zarco said, um, he was going to leave his KTM contract one year early um, um, and would run to the end of the season. A couple of races later, Johan Zarco had been um, ejected from the team early. Um, so clearly the relationship between Johan Zarco and KTM had broken down. But thankfully it hadn't broken down enough to, to block Johan Zarco from taking on any other opportunities. And by, well, as some as as can happen in motorsport, opportunities come up in some of the strangest ways. So uh, Takaki Nakagami, the very talented Japanese rider, um, he uh, experienced a horrible shoulder injury with a, after a collision with Valentino Rossi where he was taken out by Valentino Rossi um, uh, at the, the Steckenwald corner at, at Assen in the Dutch TT this year. Uh, and has been struggling away with that injury throughout the rest of the year. And he's decided to, to stop the season a couple of races early to go and get his surgery, get recovered and be, be ready to come back for pre-season testing. A very wise decision, I think. And of course, this left a vacant bike and a very, you know, a pretty pretty attractive bike as well, a 2018 spec Honda RCV. Um, so Johan Zarco was chosen um, to, to jump onto that bike. And so far, he's had two races at Phillip Island and at Sepang. And Phillip Island, he was, you know, slowly working his way into it, finished in the points, very good. Um, but at Sepang, we really saw the old Johan Zarco again. And it's great to see the old Johan Zarco again um, because it seemed so, so far away this season. Um, he was running really well, fighting within the kind of top, uh, the latter part of the top 10 and looking good for a top 10 position um, but unfortunately poor old Johan Zarco he was absolutely torpedoed by the rookie Joanne Mayer on the factory Suzuki um, so round one of, of Sepang's beautiful sweeping fast right hand corners um, Joanne Mayer tried to basically jam, jam his bike up uh, the inside uh, of Johan Zarco round this very very fast right hander um, into a gap which wasn't big enough for a factory um, Suzuki motorcycle and the result was that Joan Mir crashed into the side of, of Johan Zarco uh, and knocking him off in quite aggressive fashion Joan Mir managed to stay on the bike and was given a long lap penalty um, near the end of the race and it ended up finishing in 10th but unfortunately Johan Zarco's race was, was over but I think he'd proved what he needed to prove and he was very um, he was very upbeat in his um, post-race debrief, saying that you know he was great to be fighting, you know fighting again and to be riding the way he wants to ride. So um, let's see, but what, what will there be an opportunity for him? Well, I think a lot depends on. It's funny how it can all come down to one race, the final race in Valencia. If Johan Zarco has a very good result and Jorge Lorenzo uh, has a very bad result. 
um, we could see Jorge Lorenzo losing his seat at Honda next year and Johan Zarco taking it. But I think there's a lot more sub-stories there uh, as well. So let's let's see um, what, what, what happens there. But Johan Zarco proving that, that after all, he is certainly, um, he's got the pace to, to be in MotoGP. So, uh, I want to talk about Valentino Rossi. Um, Valentino Rossi has come under a lot of criticism this year, and perhaps rightly so. Um, he's he's not had his best season whatsoever. Had ter- Throughout the season, has had terrible issues with rear grip um, from um, his Yamaha motorcycle. So, mo- a lot of the times we've seen him impress early in races, and then about halfway through the race, um, he'll start to really slow down in pace and will drop back down the order. Um, sometimes quite, you know, quite quickly as well. Um, and every single post-race debrief has been has become more and more frustrating for him, where he's had to say, "Yeah, we were doing well until you know we, the rear tire fell apart." Basically, now this is something that frustratingly for Rossi was that this didn't seem to be affecting his Yamaha colleagues on the same type of motorcycle. Now it can depend on lots of things. It can depend how the rider likes to set the bike up, um, you know, the the style of which they ride the bike. It can come into lots of things. We've seen it on so many occasions where certain riders get so much out of a motorcycle and others don't, depending on on many, many factors. Um, he's had his old crew chief, Jeremy Burgess, say really he should be stopping by now. That's That was pretty blunt, I'll be honest. Um, Rossi's decided to change crew chief once more. Um, he's decided to, to, to end his relationship with uh, Silvano Galbacera, who really brought him back to the front again, don't forget, um, back in 2000. And, uh, well, he started, he started off in 2014, and that was where Rossi went on a brilliant run for the next three seasons um, with the help of Silvano. Um, so he's gone to a new crew chief um, for next season. So that well, that will be fascinating to see how how that goes. But Sepang, he made a he made a return to to the form we all know that he's capable of. He might be forty years old. He'll be forty one in February before the start of next season. But he set the fastest lap of the race on Sunday uh, at Sepang and also set the outright lap record uh, in the race as well. So really. Um, I'd, I think that probably quashes all concerns that the pace uh, is not within him anymore. Um, he, he stated he had much better rear grip, his tyre life was better, um, and and had a very strong um, very strong chance of, of making it onto the podium, but we saw <laughs> we saw the the differences between two motorcycles on the grid. So throughout most of the race, um, Andrea Davizioso on the factory Ducati and Valentino Rossi on the factory Yamaha battled together. They were basically, they were joined at the hip for the majority of the race. Now, it was very clear that Valentino Rossi on the Yamaha had, had superior pace around the corners of the Sepang International Circuit, but... Um, Andrea Davizioso had very, very strong braking performance, as he's he's personally known for that, but the Ducati is also known for being very good under braking. Um, but also, the Ducati has a, a significant um, power uh, and top speed advantage and acceleration advantage over the Yamaha. We've seen it on many occasions this year with Maverick Vinales and with Valentino Rossi, just how much and that straight line pace is 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 hurting them, and we saw it very very um, vividly on uh, on Sunday. With every time Valentino Rossi would be right behind Andrea Davizioso, and then the problem is also at Sepang you have one 
the back straight is followed immediately by the front straight. So you've got two long, the only two straights are joined together. So that gave Andrea De Vizioso the chance to, if he had Valentino Rossi in his tail, he could just wind up the power of the Ducati and just breeze off into the distance. And it, it must have been very frustrating for Valentino Rossi, um, but a, a, a clear example of the work that they need to do to, to, to make that step up. Clearly they have a very good handling motorcycle as Maverick Vinales proved by going to win the race but the difference was that Maverick Vinales was able to lead out front um, was able to get out front and use the pace of the Yamaha Rossi wouldn't have been able to use the pace through the corners because there was a big red Ducati with Andrea De Vizioso on it in the way um, so um, that's, Yamaha will know what they need to do over the winter but this is not a new problem this has been a problem for a number of seasons now um probably for the last three or four seasons so it's time that yamaha they really need to get make a step with their engine and get and and spend the majority of the time in the winter on that um on that aspect of their motorcycle so um next i'm going to talk about mark marquez we talked about his qualifying crash earlier um incredible to 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 get up from that crash he would have been very sore uh on sunday morning uh and being able to get out there uh and ride is is it just shows you just how superhuman moto gp riders actually are um because of that crash in qualifying he was pushed all the way back to 11th place somewhere where we've not seen him for many many um well many many seasons now we've never seen him that far back on the grid it's very unusual to even see Mark Marquez off the front row, let alone up up on the uh, up on the fourth row. Um, but his opening lap was pure Mark Marquez genius. I mean, it's so precise and clinical. Negotiating the first couple of corners uh, in a race at Sepang has got to be one of the most difficult um, aspects of any MotoGP season because there's so many different lines that riders can take through it. So through the sweeping right, then left, then right, and the it's very, very, um, very, very common for 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 there to be clashes and crashes within that that opening sec- section of corners. Um, and it, at the start of a race, when everyone's jostling for position, it's so so tricky. But Mark Marquez came through the field. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the time when he started from the back of the grid when he was in Moto Two at Valencia and he cut through the whole grid, the whole field in about two or three laps. It kind of reminded me of that. So clinical, so precise, and for you know, for once, not not lifting people up. Um, uh, it was just so he just cut this beautiful clinical line straight through, um, with surgical precision straight through the field. It was, it was the. A proper display of of a world champion. Um, for all his way all his way through to 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 P two, uh, in the race uh, behind Maverick Vinales, quite a performance indeed. And throughout this season, he has finished first or second in every race apart from one crash. Um, from the lead at uh, the Circuit of Americas, he has been in another class of his own. And if anyone uh, has aspirations for the world title next year that is the level that they're going to have to to operate on and it's going to require uh, a very very consistent challenge from uh, more than one rider i would suspect um to to keep mark marquez uh, at bay because really uh, there's never been one rider who's been able to mount 
that uh, consistent a challenge throughout the, the whole uh, the whole process of the season. Who might it be? Might it be Maverick Vinales? Possibly. Could it be Fabio Quartararo? Very possibly. Um, could it be Andrea Davizioso on the Ducati? You can never write him off. Could it be Alex Rins? Who knows? He'd need to sort his qualifying out. There are so many if, buts and maybes. You know, would it be a teammate of Mark Marquez, whoever that could be on the Honda? Could it be Jorge Lorenzo? Possibly not, but we'll see. We'll see. And that's what we, we can all get excited about, excited about over, over the winter. On the subject of family Marquez, Alex Marquez uh, clinched the Moto2 uh, World Championship at Sepang um, to add to his Moto3 crown that he won uh, when he went head-to-head with Jack Miller back in 2014. You know, Alex Marquez proved he's been in the Grand Prix paddock for a long time, the younger brother, younger brother of Mark Marquez, and he's, every class he's entered into, he's always taken a few years to kind of get up to pace. Uh, and we, we've seen that with him in Moto3, but he got there and won the title. And in Moto2, certainly, there was a lot of time where uh, everyone was wondering, you know, what, what's going to happen here? But he made it um, He made it to, to, to the World Champion, the Moto2 World Championship with the, you know, with the highly successful Mark VDS, uh, Mark VDS team. Uh, and who knows, he's, coming, he's going back to Moto2 next year, uh, interestingly. Um, and after that, looking to 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 assess his options in MotoGP, I personally would love to see both of both Alex and Mark in uh, the Repsol Honda team. I think the dynamic would be absolutely fascinating. It would make for a brilliant story. It would be a brilliant general story to bring MotoGP to another audience. These are the sort of stories of two brothers riding at the top of their sport in the same team. These are the sort of stories that get you calling inches in you know proper general publications newspapers these sorts of things these are the stories that can grasp a new audience for MotoGP and although that's you know that's not necessarily the job of the certainly not the job of the two riders but um, certainly for the team the the PR benefit and also well also um, Alex Marquez is a Moto3 and a Moto2 world champion why would you not have him on your bike you know Um, so let's see Um, it would be fascinating to see what he does next year in Moto2 does he go into MotoGP as a double world champion who knows he's going to have his hands full Uh, Moto2 you always you always do Um, he'll have a he'll have um, Sam Lowe's as a teammate in Mark VDS next year so uh, there could be uh, there could be fireworks there uh, as as well the last mention goes to the Petronas Yamaha team. Now, the Petronas Yamaha team have been absolutely fantastic this year with rookies, um, the rookie Fabio Quartararo just been the revelation rookie season, uh, and Franco Morbidelli in his second year in MotoGP, who's been fantastic and very, very consistent indeed as well. And um, I've mentioned it so many times on the podcast now that the Petronas Yamaha team, um, it's their first season in MotoGP, um, so they've had to put all of that together, uh, and they have just been superb, um, really well managed, really well run, and of course um, Petronas is a Malaysian uh, oil company, um, state-owned oil company, and that uh, is is obviously huge hugely significant in Malaysia uh, and therefore at Sepang uh, and Sepang I'm sure that was why they saw a, a record a record crowd 
uh, on Sunday because everyone wanted to see um, their, their their home team. Uh, okay, it's a Japanese manufactured bike, but it's a Malaysian team um, who are who are doing so so well. And unfortunately, we it looked like it was going to be an absolute fairy tale weekend for the Petronas Yamaha team because. Both Fabio Quartararo and Franco Morbidelli had been really fast in the top three in every session um, all weekend. Uh, and then, unfortunately, just, you know, just for whatever reason, we haven't seen a race like this from them in, in, in a number of races. You know, they've been fighting for the podium every weekend. Um, but at Sepang, they both they finished in sixth and seventh. We're just sounds strange for a rookie team to see that as a bad result, but that's the level that we're now accustomed to. And I think particularly Fabio Quartararo really had the the opportunity to 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 win uh, that that race. Could it be that the conditions in Sepang? Maybe. I mean, the Franco Morbidelli and Fabio Quartararo have raced at Sepang on a number of occasions. However, it's Fabio Quartararo's first time on a MotoGP bike there. Um, Franco Morbidelli's been there once before. Is it a fitness issue? I would doubt it, but but it's it's you know it's possible. Could the temperature have played havoc with their bike setup? Much more likely. I really think it's much more likely there's a just a bike setup issue and maybe just a little glimpse to to what can happen when you are uh, a, a rookie team and completely understandable. And if I'm sure if the, at the start of the season if you told them that um, by the end of the year that a sixth and seventh place and top independent riders. Um, you know, if that was going to be a bad result, I'm sure they would have been very happy uh, in indeed. So let's see what they do uh, in Valencia. So that's it for 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 this uh, this program uh, on MotoGP in Sepang. Please don't forget to subscribe or follow uh, our show, the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast, uh, on your chosen podcast supplier, and then you'll get a little notification on your device telling you when a new episode uh, is available. We also have our Facebook page, which is the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. We have Twitter, which is at Mackay Podcast, and Instagram, which is at Peter Mackay Motorsport. I can also reveal that we have a couple of very special interviews coming up on the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast in the next month or so. Um, I can't say anything just yet about who they are, but um, I am—I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy hearing a few of their stories. And I'm so excited to, to introduce our first guests onto the show as well. So please don't forget to, to tune into that. A good excuse to subscribe so that you don't miss those episodes. But Thank you very much for listening to this episode and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.